Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. Welcome to Happy, Sad, Confused. I am Josh Horowitz, and this is my podcast. How you doing? Thanks for stopping by. Thanks for checking it out. If you're new to our little podcast here, well, you're in for a treat. I feel like that came out sarcastic. No, I actually mean you're you're actually in for a treat. I actually am proud of this show. Uh, this is where I talk to actors and filmmakers about acting and filmmaking and movies and pop culture and stupid shit crap things uh, because I like to talk about stupid things. Um, talking about stupid things this week and important things is Mr. Matt Bomer, who is fantastic. Um, Matt is starring in Magic Mike double XL. Um, I spoke to him the other day. He came into uh, MTV's offices in New York, had a chance to sit down for a long while with Matt to talk about his um, amazing career, especially the last few years. You might know Matt from his very successful show, White Collar, which he was the star of for several years. You might know him from American Horror Story. He's coming back to that next season. We talk about that. We talk about him working with Lady Gaga soon. Uh, we talk about The Normal Heart, which was a, just a beautiful performance in a really meaningful film uh, that won him a Golden Globe, and talk about a lot of other assorted amazing stories from his career. Did you know that Matt Bomer was actually cast as Superman over a decade ago? He was literally going to be Superman. He wore the costume. He was going to be Superman. We talk about that uh, and a great many things. Matt was a delight. Another one in the category of people I've talked to briefly over the years, but never had a chance to really talk to at length. So this was a treat. And Magic Mike XXL, as I tape this, actually, the movie is just opening this intro. So I'm assuming it made a just a ton of cash <laughs> over the weekend by the time you listen to this. Because uh, as much as I like Magic Mike, this one really, I think, delivers what the audience wants out of a crazy stripper movie with Channing Tatum and Matt Bomer and Joe Manganiello uh, and the whole gang. Cause it's, it's, it's really fun and um, irreverent and you really sense the camaraderie of these guys. And it's, it's a road trip movie. The first one, definitely a different kind of speed. Steven Soderbergh, a little darker. Uh, this one's just more of a romp. So uh, not that it needs my help, but go check out Magic Mike, a double XL, get to see Matt Bomer do his thing, including singing. Uh, he's a great singer, and I'm sure we're going to see him um, doing that more and more uh, in future years and films. He is a bright future ahead. So uh, you'll hear that conversation in just a moment. Uh, just to give you a sense of where I'm at, um, I just got back from... I'm in New York, back in very hot New York. I was in hotter uh, Atlanta just the other day. I spent 24 hours in Atlanta um, visiting the set of the new Divergent movie, Allegiant Part 1, uh, which was a blast. Um, I, I visited the set of the first Divergent movie, also known as Divergent, a couple years back. So really feel like I've kind of been <laughs> through this process with this cast. I've, I've interviewed Shailene a ton. I've interviewed Miles Teller a lot. Miles has been on the podcast. Um, Miles is like the first question out of his mouth whenever I see him. How's the podcast doing? I think, I think Miles, if you're listening, you just want to know the numbers. Is that what you, you just want to know how many people are listening? I don't know. It's not important how many. It's important who's listening. And that's you 
fair listener. Um, talked to Ansel Elgort, who uh, was fantastic, and some of the new guys, including elder statesman himself, Jeff Daniels, which was a treat. So that was my day in Atlanta. That was yesterday. Uh, a few days prior, I was in LA talking to the Ant-Man cast. You can check out some of my interviews with Paul Rudd and Evangeline Lilly and director Peyton Reed and Michael Douglas. Um, they're on MTV.com. Um, and yeah, it's been a busy time, but as I tape this 4th of July weekend is getting underway. I'm taking a little time off. Hopefully you took some time off. Hopefully you enjoy your weekend and hopefully you're starting the week out right by, uh, listening to happy, sad, confused and listening to this new episode with Mr. Matt Bomer. Take it away, Matt and me start talking now. for your your happy second confused you know about this i hope that i don't and i hope that i just like it's all super spontaneous it's gonna be spontaneous and wacky i can roll i i (laughs) I studied with the groundlings i can roll with you yeah you did oh i want to get into that okay we're off and running did you do you feel it yeah oh whoa that wave just that wave of Uh. amazingness awesomeness yeah uh congratulations on this crazy press store we were talking uh magic mike xxl yes you can't have fun on the store you're Something's wrong something with up. you if you cannot have fun on the Magic Mike press tour. Are you also juggling work right now? Because Magnificent Seven is shooting. Yes, I am in the middle of working on that. And then the, literally the second we finish the press tour, I go into American Horror Story. Crazy. Yeah. Well, when the going's good, you might as well. Hey, right? lots to be thankful for, man. So how's Magnificent Seven going? Have you started shooting on that yes, one? Yes. It's great. I'm very curious. I mean... Obviously, we've got the most beloved man on the planet, Chris Pratt. Yes, and Denzel, Denzel Washington, Washington, who several people like as well. He's all right, I, I guess. Know if you've heard of him. <laughs> um, but no, the cast is amazing. There's this great new girl, Haley Bennett, who I work pretty much exclusively with. And the world they've created down in Louisiana, where they're filming, is just insane. Have you ever done a Western before? I'd never done a Western, and that's really one of the reasons why I wanted to do it, that and working with Antoine Fuqua, who I think is just a brilliant director. Um, but they've really reconstructed these pioneer towns. I mean, from scratch, you can walk into any storefront in the town and it's all fleshed out. So it was a really immersive experience. That The original film, I guess, I guess the original is The Seventh Samurai. But yeah, that's what I always think of as the original. Yeah, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not that hardcore. I, I think of The, the Magnificent Seven because that was actually one of the first Westerns I remember growing up with and loving. Sure. And then you go back and you realize that there's this guy, Akira Kurosawa, that did some decent stuff too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Were you, a film, were you a big film guy growing up? Were you like steeped in film knowledge? When did it kind of come into um, your Honestly, we weren't allowed a ton of secular entertainment in my house growing up so I really got a crash course in college and we had this AV room that had just every laser disc I'm (laughs) dating myself uh, you could ever hope for and you could just check it out of the library so that's how I found Kurosawa and a lot of great foreign filmmakers and a lot of the great American filmmakers who I had an experience. You shouldn't worry about dating yourself because when you say Laserdisc, I think of, I had something. Good times. Uh, no, I, well, yes, but I, I had, my dad chose to buy something called the Selectivision, which oh. was the, it was the Betamax. Just sounds like a hit. Right? <laughs> it was the Betamax, the VHS. It was, it was the rival. Uh, for the Laserdisc? Yeah. And Laserdisc wasn't even successful. So we had like the second rate Laserdisc. Yeah. I always felt weird when I, somebody had the beta player. I know. I was like, a little this pity. is just. 
it's not pity. It's just like I feel bad that you don't have the same selection. <laughs> but it sounds like you didn't have. So wait, this is this is interesting. Growing yeah. up, your family just was not into. Did you watch TV at all? Did you have a TV? We were allowed to watch some TV, and we were allowed to watch some movies, but it was sort of restricted. Got it. But then every now and again, like you know, my brother would sneak in and watch Jaws or something like that. Sure. And and that was around religious reasons. Was correct? That, yeah. And how correct. <laughs> and did just they, the most curt, <laughs> concise, correct. That's all you get, Josh. <laughs> no, but history. Did, did that did that loosen up, or was that just you had to escape the nest to kind of get exposed to that stuff? I think I knew. I mean, my parents were always really supportive of me becoming an artist. And when I when I graduated high school or when I was getting close my senior year, I basically put whatever the 1996 version of a PowerPoint presentation was together for them. I was like, here are the schools I'm an audition for. Then I'll get an agent like this. I had a whole game plan laid out for them because no one had ever in my family had ever left the state to go to college and all that. So um, I think once they realized that I actually had a game plan, they really got behind it and supported me. And did that come from, I mean, if I'm talking to actors uh, often, sometimes it comes from just an early validation. You do, Mm -hmm. you know, you do the school play and a teacher says, you're actually pretty good at this, or is it just sort of finding a, a community at, it's, at school? Like, how, where did it? Mm. Where did this kind of fire come from that I, I'm going to put together my little PowerPoint to sell this idea? <laughs> well, I, I was a really wildly imaginative kid, and I would just spend time outside and with my imagination, and, and films taught me to access that in a different way and kind of gave voice to all the crazy characters in my head. And then I started taking improv classes in middle school, and I had a teacher who was very supportive, and it was really just a way for me to escape. It was very therapeutic and a way for me to uh, live vicariously through other voices and characters and people. And um, that just continued. And when did you, uh, okay, so New York obviously was a, was, a, was a key component in kind of the, the maturation mm. of Matt Momer's career. But, but we're... Uh... <laughs> So true, son. So true. It's so rare when the guest is more immature than I am. So I appreciate that. I'm here for you. Okay. I'm here for you. Um, So what was the game plan? Was the game plan to get to New York? Yeah. um, Always the game plan was to get to New York and do theater. And that's kind of all I ever thought that I was going to do with my life. I didn't have some, I didn't have like a one, a three and a five year plan when I got out of college. I was like, I'll hopefully get a play and you know, wait tables. And, and that's certainly how my career started out. So, yeah. and then one thing just kind of led to another. So, so what, when you look back on the early days of New York, what, was there a rude awakening? Was there, um, did you just use the singular? <laughs> I mean, like every day was a rude awakening in New York. Yeah. I think if I'd gone to New York from spring, Texas, straight from high school, I went to Carnegie Mellon and Pittsburgh right. in between. Had I gone straight there, I think, I, I don't know that I would have survived because I was just too, wide-eyed and bushy-tailed I, I was just like you know i would have been like when someone was accosting me in the subway like hey you want to pray about this like or something like, i don't know i just i needed something intermediary so and you knew well a couple of people that in reading up on you that, that you interacted with way back when lee pace was somebody yeah did you know in high school yeah we did plays together That's in high crazy. school and Lynn Collins was a year ahead of me in high school. And then in college, it was a whole other group of people who were all working all over town. Including Joe Manganiello, right? Joe Manganiello, I've known since we were 18, yeah. So what was your first impression? What was the 18-year-old Joe Manganiello like? Was he similar to the the giant, ginormous man that I I know today? Um, Yes and no. You know, Joe obviously makes a very strong impression. He is a large, handsome man (laughs) and always has been. 
Um, and he's, he was always sort of a lone wolf, but um, we bonded over the work and, and really had a, a really nice friendship over the years. And then I've really seen him just grow so substantially, especially in the past couple of years. I've just seen him really come into his own as a man and as an artist. And I think the work he does in this movie is so great and, and such um, a product of all the work he's done on himself. So. Yeah, I mean, a, a couple of standout moments in this one. He's done some crazy sketches with me here. Has he? I'm going to enlist you for um, one of these dude. days. We're going to do something, okay? Uh, <laughs> how much time do Come we have? On now. <laughs> but yeah, he's got such, and he's got, so, he, he knows how to f have fun with his physicality, how to make fun he of himself. He knows who he is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, is just enchanting's the same way. I think it's a really, I think it's a really kind of key component to, to being successful in this business yeah. is knowing who you are and what you bring to the table. So, so jumping around a bit to, to Magic Mike. Okay, so this this is kind of the most unlikely franchise I feel like in the history of filmmaking. Yeah, <laughs> it's of insane. Course. Yeah, especially like well, obviously the subject matter, obviously the the fact that it, I mean it, the, even the first film is is frankly a lot different than this one in terms of tone. Yes. Um, uh, when you okay, when you were considering signing on for the first one, mm -hmm. was there debate within Team Boomer? Was there like Dude, this is a horrible idea. Or was there? It's Steven Soderbergh. Let's just take a leave. When you when Steven says he wants you to do it. Well, to contextualize everything, at that time it was like a five seven million dollar movie. It was a tiny little independent film, and obviously I really wanted to work with Steven Soderbergh. I wanted to work with Channing, Matthew, all these guys. Sure. And I thought, oh, this would be kind of like the girlfriend experience. It'll be this like right. small little niche film. Like we'll all dig in really deep and. Um, we started the process that way, and then shortly after we finished, they're like, oh, there's a bidding war going on. It's going to be a big studio summer release. <laughs> and there was, of course, a part of me that was like, if I'd known that many people were going to see me naked, I, I don't know. <laughs> but um, thankfully, these guys are so great. And, and what they brought to the table with the sequel, I obviously did not want to rehash the right. first one. Nobody, you know, I feel like the first one's a really strong film that can stand totally. on its own. and. When I saw that it had become this whole like stripper odyssey, this like fantastic voyage with this, these outlandish characters, it was kind of in the vein of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert and The Last Detail, movies like that, that I really enjoyed. And they'd also just completely flipped the script on the tone. So I thought, oh, wow, there's there's a, definitely a story here and it's a different story. So. I want to do it. It's funny. It's funny when you when you mentioned I, I hadn't even occurred to me, but like this <laughs> to go highbrow for a second. You mentioned like the Odyssey. You're right. Like wait, mm. there there are these pit stops along the way. It's yeah. a road movie, and you encounter these different people. I mean, a lot of people are talking about, for instance, the sequence with Andy McDowell for Correct. you, of course, which is amazing. A you get to have we this run across a pride of cougars. <laughs> Not <laughs> we, literal, kind of literal. I don't uh, know. Is that what you call a group of <laughs> pride? Right. Yeah, right. Um, which is very derogatory, by the way. They're just sexy ladies. Right. That's all there is to it. Let's face it. <laughs> I mean, Annie McDowell is like, they don't get more beautiful than that. This is true. Um, but yeah, we, we, there's a lot of different characters we, we encounter. And, you know, it's one of those circumstances where these guys were obviously stuck in a very stale place. And they're all at a crossroads because getting a little long in the tooth for the stripper game. <laughs> so <laughs> so they're having to figure out what the next chapter is, and, and they had to kind of get out of their comfort zone in order to do that. And right. I think that's what Mike's role is really all about in this, is helping these guys like get get unstuck and, and be their most authentic selves. Uh, I know you've been a lot of, doing a lot of talking about the singing in the film. Was that something that was always in the script? 
No, I mean, yes and no. I, the, the whole reason that came about is, is all due to Channing and Joe really uh, being generous people. We In the first film, like I said, we had a very limited budget and we would entertain the extras in the strip club between takes. And, and basically Channing would just shove a microphone in your face and be like, do something. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know. And Joe was like, sing. I said, well, what do I sing? And Channing goes, I don't know, Jodeci. <laughs> and I only know one Jodeci song, so I sang that. And he remembered, and he was like, you're going to sing in the next movie. And, um, I, you know, to hear him tell it, he was like, going into this movie, I knew it was going to be a road trip movie, that we were going to get to the convention, and that you were going to sing. <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. But, yeah, it was, I mean, it was an incredible gift that Channing gave me, and um, also a really terrifying one, because it's, it's really scary. All the singing is live in the movie. Right. It's not a pre-recorded thing. You went famous style. You went full on. I went full length. <laughs> I was like, if I'm going to sing in strip, I'm going to sing in strip. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Uh, yeah. So it was. they encouraged that as well because, um, trust me, I was trying to, like, put my tail between my legs and back out. I was like, can't we just kind of lip sync? They're like, no. Right. He's singing it live. <laughs> so um, it, was, it was balls to the wall. Um, and it's scary to have to just take your clothes off in front of 800, 900 people, right. but to also be singing live at the same time. Do you feel like th this whole experience of these last two films gives you kind of like a self-confidence kind of thing where like, okay, if I can expose myself literally in that way, I can kind of take on maybe not anything, but I can take on a lot more things than I thought I could. No. <laughs> no. Nope. And not, I wish I could not say it that in that way. way. You know, I mean, it's very much of a time and a place. Like, it, there's so much prep. I think people think, oh, it's just a bunch of movie best strippers. There's so much physical preparation and dance rehearsal that goes into these numbers. And really, you have to just. I'm, I'm terrified when I do it. It's not like I'm stripping in between films right. for practice. Like, and you know, you can rehearse in a room like this so much, but then all of a sudden you're out there naked in front of strangers. And so the great thing is we had 800 or 900 of the best actors I've ever worked with in this crowd scene. I mean, they brought so much energy to the table. Every take, they completely bolstered us and actually made me feel like I could do it right so after i got over my own initial got out of my own way basically after the first couple of takes and I, I was able to kind of make it a conversation and kind of an exchange sure. um it became really fun but no i mean i think if any strength i've gathered is, is from getting to work with people like channing and joe who are just who celebrate people's authenticity and, and um approach life from such a non-judgmental open way and sure. that, that's the best thing i've taken from this well, not, yeah. definitely not like any <laughs> sense of self-confidence in my body i'm rife with insecurities really when of you look here okay, i wouldn't even look in the mirror when we're doing this film i was gonna say okay so when you're when you happen to catch a glimpse of yourself naked at home you're yeah. not you're, you're you're i would guess you're a little happier than i am walking <laughs> stop <laughs> it <laughs> Uh, no, I... Uh, what are you thinking? What, I'll be honest with you. I, I truly did avoid the mirror the entirety of this film. Because let's face it, I am the character actor in this movie. Right. Everybody else is like a foot taller than me <laughs> and a hundred pounds heavier, which was so refreshing. But I was also like, okay, I'm never going to look like Joe Manganiello. So I'm just going to work as hard as I can, put everything I can into it and, and just try to bring whatever that results in to the table. But I knew that if I saw anything in the mirror, I was going to pick it apart and it was all going to come crashing down.
the jokes about I think it came in the first film about you looking like a Ken doll. Was that yes. the, was that the first time in your life that you had experienced jokes about that? When do you remember the first time when someone had compared you to a Ken doll, and mm. how did you react to that? Pull up the couch, doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> how does that make know. you feel, man? Uh, you know, <laughs> makes me feel really plastic. <laughs> Uh, no, I, I think that was the first time that di- I'd, I'd been referred to as a Ken doll that directly. I'm, maybe somebody did it behind my back. Right. I don't know. There are worse things to be called behind your there back. There are worse things to be called, but then I just, you know, Ken ain't got nothing going on down there. And I do. <laughs> I do. Right. So there's something kind of uh, antiseptic about it that right. I, I'm not really crazy about. Right. But I get it. That was his act. That was his bread and butter, baby. Malibu Ken. That's how he sold himself. <laughs> Everybody's got to get there. Their act where they make that dollar. That's what it's about in the end, man. I got rent to pay. <laughs> but it's funny. I got rape <laughs> classes to take. <laughs> it's funny, going back a little bit, you mentioned, yeah, I think one of the things that Channing is so astute about, you're talking about learning something from like Joe and Channing, mm. is like, so Channing took what arguably could be considered the thing you want to bury deepest in Correct. your life. <laughs> and exposed this all the world and yeah. has made millions off of it and has made great art out of it. Yeah. There's a lesson there for all of us. Oh, it's, a, it's been a huge lesson and a huge inspiration for me. And it's not something that he takes lightly. It's something that he lives. I mean, just the fact that we went and like did a gay pride parade float together, yeah. I think is a huge testament uh, to his character and him wanting to celebrate. I mean, he doesn't have to do that. Right. It's, it doesn't affect the marketing of the film. It doesn't affect who's going to go see the movie and who's not going to. Sure. He did it because he likes to celebrate all peoples. So uh, jumping around a bit because I'm trying to keep you on your toes. Okay, we're back in New York. You ready? Back yeah, in New, back in New York. Early days. Uh, yeah. So was was the was soap work? Was it theater? What was the first time that you felt like, okay, this is turning into an actual career? Well, I had gotten – I was lucky enough to get a Broadway show shortly after I arrived in New York, but it was taking a long time to get the house. So in the meantime, I was working as a bellman – Tell me if this story gets too long. I'm just going to watch you. <laughs> I was working as a bellman, and then 9-11 happened. So I, everyone got laid off from the hotel because no one was coming to New York anymore. So as you know, it was a very uh, hairy time yeah, yeah. here. And um, this casting director on a soap opera had said, you know, if you ever want to audition for the show, let me know. And I was like, of course, like theater school snob. I was like, I shall never. <laughs> I'll do regional theater first. I really hope you said um, it like that. <laughs> To his face. He was looking around like, why is no, this dude talking he like that? like, uh, yeah, you should be on stage, actually, because that's never going to go over in a close-up. Um, no, so then he, he, I called him with my tail between my legs. I was like, do you have anything? Because I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent the next month. Yeah. And he said, well, we have this character. It's not, you're not right for it, but you can come in and test for it. And, you know, by the grace of God, I, I got the role. And, and that's when I first started being able to support myself acting. Right. Um, but I was there for a very short time. And then um, some film things started cropping up that uh, sort of ushered me into the next phase of my career. But I'm not I'm not a, a aficionado of soap opera, so forgive mm. me. But you played, as, as from my research, you played Ben Reed number three. Was that, par- was that part of the name? Third or what- time's a charm, son. <laughs> <laughs> was there a Ben Reed number four? Did you retire okay. Ben Reed? Ben Reed. Number three. <laughs> That's not Ben Reed the third. No, as I in, think there were it's previous. No, maybe that too. Who knows? My favorite thing. Well, first of all, it's because he started out as a child on the show, right. and I became, and then you he was like a tween. A yeah, right. Like, I would, I would have loved him on like dwarf, dwarf on golf, like just on my knees the whole time. Clifford Mommy. Action. 
that would have been amazing. He's so bold. He's By going the way, for if you'll have me on a soap opera <laughs> as, a child. as a child, I'm there. <laughs> No, I, story next season. It could happen. <laughs> it, that could happen. <laughs> but my favorite thing about it was it, I had I told the writers because I knew I was going to be there for a long time. I was like, I want the craziest storyline you've ever given yeah. anybody on this show, and they obliged. <laughs> like, and you would not believe what, what was, I did what was in the a craziest year. Thing you did? I was a trust fund baby who tried to bet his friends he could def- his fraternity brother so he could deflower the town virgin. He, then he falls in love with her, of course, but she finds out it's a bet, so she dumps him. Then he finds a new girlfriend, and he loses his trust fund, but he doesn't want to tell her, so he turns to the only thing anybody can do, which is male prostitution. <laughs> Had several older female clients. I would meet these women who were in their 40s and 50s at 6 in the morning. I was 22 years old, and by 9, I'd be in a cocksock with them in the bed making out for like 25 minutes. Then What happened I went, in the second episode? Right? <laughs> so then I go, uh, she finds out I'm a prostitute, dumps me. I go crazy, kill four people, right. kidnap her to a remote cabin in the woods, confess to her that I was molested by my female school teacher yeah. as a child, which mm-hmm. was very topical at the time, sure. and committed suicide by injecting myself with a, 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 a syringe full of insulin in front of her, her dad, and her new boyfriend, but classically hung on one day more in the hospital to say sorry for everything I'd done. Which leads us to the normal heart. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the writers came up to me at the end. They were like, just, you know, if you ever want to come back. <laughs> There's nothing left for me to do. got it figured out. Oh, they have I was like, wow. You should do the whole James Franco thing. Go back, man. Do it. I can't. It's coming gone. <laughs> yes, normal heart. Uh, actually, before that. Yes. You, I think you were on the only show ever to star both Jason Priestley and Zach Galifianakis. Uh, Congratulations. Yes, who, who were you closer my to? My dream team. On True Calling. Zatchback. <laughs> Are you so kidding me? Zatch. Yeah. Does he respond to Zatch? I, I, that's what I called him at the time. Did he I respond or did he just a, run away in the other direction? He always runs away, especially <laughs> if I try to high five him. He does not like high fives. But yeah, he was my he was my go-to man on that job. I, we, I still see him from time to time. He's and the hey, best. He's he has great. a beautiful baby now. Awesome weight. He looks so amazing. So cute. Yeah. And Quinn is an amazing woman. I, I love them. Um, when you look back, White Collar obviously is a, is, a, is a moment that shifts the career, I would think, yeah. in a huge yeah, way. Yeah, for sure. Was that something that, like, were you actively going for, I mean, you had done some series, so like, mm-hmm. was that, like, the mindset, like, film's eventually great, but, like, if I get a series of my own, that's going to really get me to another level, get me in some other yeah, lists? Yeah, I mean, to me, honestly, I had, I at the time, I think I'd tested for, like, six things before White Collar, and I was like, ugh. I'd even thought about like applying to grad school at that time because I I wanted to be a part of stories that affected people, that reached people in different ways, you know, whether it was just escapism or whether it's something like normal heart that had social implications and could maybe inform people about things they might not know or or, or change people's minds, things like that. And um, when I read the script, I thought, oh, wow, like I I can do this. I, I know I can do this role. I'm sure there's a lot of people who can, but I know I can put my stamp on this character. Yeah. And uh, I'm just so lucky because I know they wanted somebody who was in their 40s and British. And I was 29 at the time, I think, uh, when I tested for it. And I was just really lucky that Jeff Easton, the creator, really stayed in my court and fought for me. And yeah. It changed my life. And, and somewhere in that time, I mean, this is probably more fascinating for me and maybe more upsetting for you to recall, but like Superman was something that was like a real thing. That's what took me off the soap opera when I was 23 or something. So like, correct me if I'm wrong. So Brett Ratner was at one time attached. And, correct. And you were, were you like, I had, I had cast? screen were you tested it? with Amy Adams in the tights. I think it's at, at that session it was um, 
Paul Walker, myself, and um, I can't remember who the third person, some other big star. And, uh, you know, thankfully, Brett chose me for the project, and then it all fell apart. How quickly? How long did you have that I mean, talking about it, just like, Um, It it all happened, I mean, the casting process, Brendan Fraser was the other person. Uh, It was a, a very lengthy process to get the role. I think it was over the course of like three months because I went in on a cattle call. Sure. And then um, it sort of evolved from there. And uh, yeah, it, it was maybe three months. And then it was like a month of, okay, looks like this is going to happen. That's going to be insane. And then it For a 23-year-old slowly fell apart. Oh. So, um, <laughs> but it's okay. I have zero regrets about that. Yeah. I feel like um, I've gotten to do such a rich array of roles and so many different things and I haven't been too locked into one I mean that's a very iconic role to yeah. portray you can suddenly be that character in everyone's minds forever you know what was what was was the incarnation of that script totally different than very the one different that, that Brian ended up doing Brent Singer completely different it was written by JJ Abrams it was, Abrams. It, was wow. it focused on him much more when he was younger and when he was in college yeah. and um, it was a very it had it was very lighthearted in many ways um, I've seen your work, and many have seen your work in The Normal Heart, which you won the Golden Globe and a lot of acclaim for. I mean, it's a, 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 obviously Larry Kramer's play, which I had the fortune of seeing on stage. Was oh, wow. astounding. Cool. That, that, when you look back, that's got to be something you take as much pride in as anything you've done in your career. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not even about uh, personal pride. It's just I'm so I would have been so happy doing anything in that film. Um, and it's a story that's been close to my heart for so long. I mean, I, I read that play in high school and used to perform pieces from that and Destiny of Me when I was a kid in rural Texas. I'm sure people were like, what is wrong with this dude? Um, but it was always important to me and something yeah. about it always really resonated with me because it educated me about so much that was going on in the world that no one in Spring, Texas was telling me about. Right. And so it was just a real honor to get to be a part of it. And I think, you know, if you're lucky, you get a job like that once or twice in your career that um, you every day is just like a, a real a real gift. But by that time, and you correct me if I'm wrong, you, you had officially, for whatever it's worth, come out. You had mm-hmm. spoken publicly about your sexuality. Was that something that... Like, would you have cons- would, would the the algorithm of doing normal heart have been different five years prior when it wasn't as you know you'd probably have to ask Ryan Murphy about it because I, I know it was important for him to have openly gay actors yeah. in the film. Um, so who knows what that algorithm is? I would have been there, come rain or come shine. Yeah, um, but it just worked out the way it worked out. So, um, speaking of Ryan, you've had a chance, and you're and you're about to start. You're about to start on American Horror Story. The That's next season, correct. Right? So, as soon as I finish this press tour, well, I'll make this as short as possible. No, let's see what you're going to do. I'm scared. <laughs> so Ryan has said. I think he tweeted this the other day. Something about um, a, a kind of a love triangle brewing. Yeah. It would seem. What do you mm. What do you know of your relationship between Lady Gaga and Finn? Nothing. Nothing. Seriously. <laughs> I've yes, read the first few. I actually don't know which character Finn is playing. I. I love Finn. I think he's a brilliant actor and we've worked together a couple of times now. And, um, and I love, I'm such a huge fan of Lady Gaga. I think both as an artist and as a performance artist, she's incredible. And I know she's going to bring some amazing things to the table. It's a great role for her. Have you met her yet? I haven't. No, I've seen her in passing at, at, at some PR events and things, yeah. but I want it to be special the first time. <laughs> so have you, uh, <laughs> you know? okay. are you going to call her Gaga? Or are you going to call her Stephanie? What are you going to call her? 
I, I'm going to extend my hand and say, hi, I'm Matt. How and shall I address say, you? Oh, nice to meet you. I'm blank. And that's what I'll refer to her as the rest of the time we work together. <laughs> um, but no, I, you know, you want it to be substantial. We have to do some pretty intense things together. So I wanted to make sure that, uh, you know, we got to sit and chat and have a, was just like, hey, yeah, see you when we're right. doing let that me, thing. Let me now get into this crazy costume and scream for three yeah. hours. Whatever the hell you're going to do is going to be extreme, exactly. I would think. So um, I'll let you know. I'll let you know how it goes whenever we have our first meeting. Um, you are also – I think you shot this already. I'm very curious about Shane Black's new film. Nice guys, yes. I mean Shane Black, I, obviously oh, one of the best writers out there. I'm a huge fan of Shane Black. I mean he writes action in such a palpable – resonant way it just it really does just jump off the page yeah. at you and reading that script it was the first time in a long time that I laughed that much reading a script by myself I mean I could have been you know sent to an asylum I was like <laughs> laughing hysterically by myself in a room and the character was you know my character is pretty serious in it but um Ryan and Russell Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe their work in the film is just amazing and you really do get to see a new side of them that's just hilarious. They're a really – they lived up to all the dream team hype that I had hoped for. Have you acquired um, Ryan Gosling's email or phone? Because I feel like uh, everyone listening to this and watching this probably would wrestle you to the ground for it. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe, had, maybe not. I would never tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, if anyone hasn't seen like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, I think of oh, Shane. Oh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I mean, Gay Perry is, like, one of my favorite yeah. characters. <laughs> well, that's Val, cinema. right? Isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, so good. Val Kilmer's character. Why can't we have more yeah. Val Kilmer in our lives? See, I know, man. I What's up I'm with obsessed that? with him. His son is in this movie, oh, and yeah? I have a scene with him. Oh, so, really? So um, that was – that's as, as close as I've gotten to work with Val. But so he's great. I mean, it sounds like, you know, we haven't even talked about probably what's like takes up 80% of your life, which is being a dad. Yeah. <laughs> 90. Yeah. Right? Um, but is, is I mean, career-wise, this is probably, you know, I, I don't want to jinx it. This is like when someone's put on the Sports Illustrated cover and the next week they blow out their knee. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like, you're, you're getting to do a lot of cool things and work with cool filmmakers. Yeah, is, th yeah. is this kind of where you had envisioned yourself? Is this succeeding, matching expectations, or is it just in a different kind of realm of what you could have even imagined five or ten years ago? I mean, it's definitely in a different realm than what I had imagined, for sure. I, for me, story is so important. I don't think of myself as a singular entity or... I just want to bring to the table my part in telling a director's story. Yeah. So for me, it's always about reading the script and do I feel like it's something new? Is it scary to me? Are these people I want to work with? And then um, if it's a director I'm a fan of, like Shane or you know Antoine Fuqua, someone like that, I, I'm on board for whatever you need me for. I just I, I want to keep getting the chance to tell stories. Uh, lastly, look, let me get a sense of your, your pop culture like radar right now. Like, what, what are you? Do you watch a lot of TV? Do you go see a lot of films? What have you been obsessing about lately? Broad City, pretty. Great. I love. Oh, I love those <laughs> girls so much. To me, HBO's Girls is great. Mm -hmm. I love that show too. But that to me is what it's really like to be girls in Brooklyn. <laughs> Not that I know what it's like to be a girl in Brooklyn, but the girls I know who right. live in Brooklyn, like sure. that's kind of their experience sure. of that age. So I love that show. I love Workaholics. Um, I really liked Empire. I know everybody compares it to those old school soaps, but to me it's much more Shakespearean. <laughs> right, it's, right, like, right. it's like Richard III and Henry IV and even The Lion in Winter. It, it, the source material is really interesting to me. Yeah. 
Um, those are the TV shows, I would say. And, and film-wise, I don't know how old your kids are. I mean, are you stuck watching a lot of kids' movies? Are you able to see kind of the... Well, our, old, that... my old, our oldest son is 10 now. So you are, yeah. So we're starting to venture into, I'm being a, a terrible parent, taking him to PG-13 movies. <laughs> <laughs> Got to work sometimes. He, he'd been asking me to go to Jurassic World for a solid six months before oh. it came out. So I was like, yeah, we're going to have that experience together. And he turned to me at the end of it and goes... That is the best movie <laughs> I have ever seen. And I was like, oh, we're going to watch Lawrence of Arabia <laughs> later on. You may change your mind. I don't know. It's neck and neck, um, to be fair. But he had the best time. And, yeah. and so, yeah, I try to, every now and again, I'll sneak in something a little bit more grown up so that he feels cool. And um, what, What's the, I mean, I, I have talked to, I, I don't have kids myself, but living vicariously through my brother who lives vicariously through his kids, for instance, like every parent has like those films they want to like live again through their kids. Uh, yeah. What were the films? Are that, we doing all of that now? So what were they? What Goonies? Happened? Yeah. Harry and the Hendersons we got dead on last week. <laughs> so sad at the end. The John so yells at him. Sad. Oh, but then the turn. Then the turn. <laughs> Don't forget the turn. It was, it was amazing. Don't stop it there. Watching my kids not know about the turn. <laughs> it was amazing. Yeah, we get down with a lot of stuff now. I have a whole, I have like a, a like seriously like a list of a hundred movies on my phone. And I'm just like, it's an Apple TV night. What are we going to get down on tonight? Right. And ha have they been appreciating everything? Has there been any moments where they didn't get it and you had to be like, oh, well, chalk it up. It's dated. It's not working. Yeah. Um, they mostly love and get everything, which is great. Um, we watched this one called Explorers, I think sure. it's called. Do you remember with Ethan Hawke? It's the first Ethan Hawke movie. Yeah. Right? When he was like, yeah, River Phoenix, and they build a spaceship that goes into outer space. They were lost. Man. They were like, okay, the spaceship part's cool, but why are they in space now? And what are these big, nasty green aliens who are like making all these zeitgeist references that are, are like right. 40 years too old for me? Why does that guy sound like John Lovitz? So, yeah, yeah it, it, it didn't. It was, I was like, you know, sorry. I had to do like, I love that movie, and I stand by it, but I did have to do a blanket apology. <laughs> And, and, and but the, they're eternal enthusiasts. They're like, no, no, it wasn't that bad. <laughs> That's not supportive. Yeah. In a few years, they won't be like that. They're just exactly. Gonna... <laughs> no, I know the money time is now. I have like two years left right. of being cool, yeah. and then it's over. Then, it's, then they realize what Magic Mike's all about, and then they, yeah, dissolve irreconcilable differences. Oh they're going to dissolve this relationship it's be forever. Bad. I'm never going to hear the end of it. <laughs> um, it's been really fun to catch up with you. I do. We are going to do something stupid at some point. Dude, please. I mean. If this wasn't enough, no. I am happy to do. I, I will go. This there is with level you. one stupid. By As a matter standards. of fact, I'm throwing down a challenge right now. Like, can it be stupid enough? <laughs> was that like a stupid smoke bomb you just threw down? It, it, well, yes. <laughs> it was uh, a stupid stink bomb. It's a it's a deal. Uh, it's good to see you, Mac. Congratulations. You too, man. Thanks, Thank you buddy. so much for everything. Always good to see you. Always good to see you, buddy. Cool. Thanks, guys. I'm good. Thanks, you make buddy. it so easy. Oh, stop it. Uh,